Welcome to Allendale Market Talk Podcast. This is Greg McBride and Mike Lung. We are two weeks, less than two weeks, from the uh, the end of the uh, uh, the year that is 2020, Mike. And it's been a it's been an odd one. So let's let's kind of start uh, just kind of breaking down where we stand with the uh, with the markets and and let's just have a conversation. Let's not uh, try and have a have a, a structure here. Let's just have a conversation. Um, starting out with with the beans, this this thing looks like an absolute rocket ship. Tell me I'm wrong. I would agree with you, except for the fact that we are up at the upper end of the channel right now. So even though I would, I'd love to agree with you, and I am agreeing with you that I think this there's still plenty of bullish picture, and we're gonna continue to move this thing higher until we can or we should continue to move this thing higher until we cut off demand. Um, you very well could see from just a tactical basis, some kind of correction down to lower end of the channel before, uh, before the resumption of the uptrend takes place. So that's the only thing I'm watching for, watching for a breakout to tell me I'm wrong. Um, well, and, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause you're, you're talking about this channel. How do you, how did you draw this channel? And you, uh, I know the bottom of it would be the the uptrend that we we started uh, uh, way back when. But how did you draw the top uh, that the top portion of that? Yes, yeah, so the top portion comes in when you connect the uh, the highs. Much like when you're doing a trend line, you got your uh, lower bands. That's uh, you're connecting your lows together, and you're forming that uptrend line. The more it's touched, the stronger it is. Uh, same with the uh, top end of it. Is you can attach the highs together. And that should be, uh, from a technical standpoint, from a textbook standpoint, the point of uh, potential reversals where you go and uh, retest those lower trend lines. Okay, but we're not we're not talking about any kind of failure at this point. As long as it stays within that channel, we're st- we're continuing to to hold that uptrend, and we could, I mean, we could take this uptrend for another fifty, sixty, eighty dollar move. As long as it stays within that channel, right? We don't. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at it as, okay, here's your failure point. You get up here and you can't cross it, then you're just going to fall apart. This thing, I mean, it's it's unbelievable how we continue to find strength in this market, and it's like just about the time where you think we're we've got one story that's that's really played out. Something new comes into the soybeans. So you know, soybeans uh, have all this massive demand from China. And we rally on that. We had the dryness in August that we rallied on. Um, uh, ending stocks can continue, continue to fall off. And then it starts to slow down. We see the funds coming out of the market. We see the open interest starting to drop. And then, boom, we get hit with a NOPA crush report. And then we get hit with the uh, Argentina uh, port strike. So <laughs> right back up. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that this thing continues to go. But as we've said in the past... What 14, 1440 is what uh, what fair value is at these uh, at these current ending stocks. Yeah, and at this point, it's going to be uh, we're in that point where we're going to continue to feel it out. It's it's not so much where can we find fair economic value, but more so where can we absolutely kill demand? Mm-hmm. How high can we take it? So we very well might see this thing move back lower, and you see some bears start to develop a. Some more optimism and then you hit the lower in the channel and then you start bouncing off of it and you see short covering and you see uh money that took profit on the upper end of the channel start to come back in at the lower end of the channel 
You just mm-hmm. keep seeing this ebb and flow take place until you can finally say, you know what? We are finally running 75% below average, uh, which at this point, I think we can run 55% below average throughout the remainder of the year for bean sales and still hit USDA's goal. So yeah. how long until, like I said, we come in here and we just turn off the hose, you're done. Are we are we worried at all about uh, about this massive crop in uh, in uh, South America? I mean, Brazil is still projected to have a record crop, even though they're not the 133 or 135 that they were uh, just a, a couple of months ago uh, because of all that dryness. Are, are we worried about that? Uh, I mean, their farmers have have forward sold a lot of beans. We should always be worried about what's. Uh... South America's crops looking like because that's going to definitely show what the world picture is. But the question is, do we care enough at this point for how low our ending stocks is? And I just don't think it's a huge issue in the background. Yes, they have a lot of supply, but we've also already sold a ton of crop. Um, so potentially down the road, but for now, doesn't seem like trade really cares all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing to remember is that the the shift from uh, from U.S. to Brazil for China typically happens mid-December to mid-January as far as sales go. They start to harvest that uh, that bean crop in what mid mid-February or something like that. So they don't have beans that are going to flood the uh, uh, flood the market uh, for another month and a half to two months. Mm-hmm. We do have some time. The problem that I have here is that this does open us up for. How much is left to be shipped that we've already booked versus cancellation possibilities uh, for, uh, because of China? Mm-hmm. You know, at what point do they say, well, shoot, I cut these uh, I cut these beans free from the U.S. and I can go buy them cheaper from Brazil? Yeah, and obviously that's always something that we're going to be monitoring. Something else I really want to focus on going forward that I don't think we really talked too much about is uh, how China interacted during that 2007 to 2009 time period with how they were able to gather raw materials. Um, So for those of you that don't know, during that 2007 to 2009 time period, they actually came in here and besides outright buying raw materials, they offered loans to countries. uh, uh, Ukraine, they offered loans. And besides payments in form of currency, their repayment was in the form of raw materials. Uh, Ukraine has to deliver this amount of corn in order to pay off their loan or various Mm -hmm. other countries with oil. So what we could be looking at as well is not only, hey, they're going to come in here and cancel, but what if China just gets to a point that they, again, just get fed up with the U.S. and say, you know what? We're going to start offering loans again, and we're going to do so to Africa, and we're going to do so to Australia, and we're going to, well, not Australia at this point, but Brazil, things along those lines. And it's going to be in the form of raw material, so we're going to be able to lock that in uh, for cheaper for a longer time period. Well, haven't we already, we've already heard something to that effect. I mean, they're, they're searching out, uh, uh, I think it was Tanzania. Uh, for sources of of soybeans, so they're they're looking outside of the U.S. and Brazil for other places to do that. I mean, obviously the the Ukraine for uh, for corn or even wheat, um, you know, French wheat or or Russian wheat or anything like that. So I mean, they're they're trying to make sure you know, as the I don't know, they're not the biggest consumer 
uh, country in the world, but they're, you know, as, wh- that's where we are. But uh, as far as raw materials, they are the biggest, uh, the biggest buyer of that stuff uh, anyway. So mm-hmm. it, uh, it behooves them to, to make sure that they don't put all their eggs in one basket. They can diversify a little bit. Yeah, so that's just something I think if, with everything we talk about, how really a lot of information just gets regurgitated. You get the Argentina strikes, you got everything that's going on right now, and you can hear in 20 different places. What are we not mm-hmm. paying attention to that could be poking its head around the corner? And much like you had people talking about 2010, how this market looks a lot like it, maybe we should be focused a little bit on, well, what else was going during that time frame? And how can China position position itself to say, you know what, I there's a new strain of coronavirus out right now, and I'd, I don't really feel comfortable buying, so we're going to play the national or natural disaster card, and uh, we're going to pull ourselves out of this phase one deal. And you know what, we're also going to have a loan that we're going to generate, and we're going to bring in beans that way, and we're going to lock in through various means. Mm-hmm. So just a few different things to keep an eye out for uh like i said you can go anywhere for really a majority of the information that just gets regurgitated long ags but those really nitty-gritty details i think uh, probably need to be watched a little closer going forward Wait, you're just harshing my buzz here mike i was really hoping that you were just going to say that we were on a rocket ship to the top we know there was nothing else uh, no risk in the market i mean you're almost talking like a like a, a broker here <laughs> And uh, I never didn't say that we were doing <laughs> rocket ship. I didn't say we were, but I didn't say we weren't. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, I mean, you can definitely be be happy and uh, definitely be looking at the trend and say, hey, we should continue to march higher until said point that we've absolutely killed our demand and uh, we've made everyone happy. Say we're sitting at X, Y, Z price way above where we're sitting at. Um, but what I really want to focus on the higher and higher this price goes is not really this year or even next year, but the year after, uh, in 2011, 2012, what was the biggest problem? It wasn't those prices. It was the prices that follow. It's that bear market that follows the congestionary phase for supply that you really need to be forward looking towards. How do we protect yourself from that 2013 fall and looking into 2014 where you could, if you look for enough out, have hedges in place that are, very profitable and you can avoid potentially really taking a big hit on revenue when you're gonna have land rents going up and you have seed costs going up and you're gonna have all these inputs going up so how do you look far enough out while everything is optimistic to really set yourself up for a good position yeah it it always seems like we're about a year behind uh when it comes to uh, the way that we uh, we either market or maybe you're two years behind the way that we market or the way that we even make decisions on uh, on planting. Because if you look at the way that um, corn and beans work at these prices, you know, uh, 180 bushels an acre at uh, at you know 420 for for corn still pays you better than 50 uh, ish bushels. Uh, at you know 10 1080 1090 for for beans so it it tells you that at this point we're probably going to plant more corn uh, again and maybe maybe more more acres of corn than we did this year but definitely more acres than we do uh, for beans but the problem is when that when those ending stocks go up for corn 
and people get to start seeing prices uh, maybe come back down, maybe not to, you know, not to where we were this year, but that's when they make the decision that, okay, for 20, for the 20, what is it? 22, 23 crop year. That's when I'm going to, I'm going to make my acreage shift and they're going to plant more beans. And that's, what's going to kill the price for beans then. Cause we over, over plant beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the several year out picture and playing that long game is definitely something to always keep in the back of your mind and always something to help mitigate your risk on the far out. Cause while everything's great, uh, it, it tends to go to the wayside. All mm-hmm. right. How do I, take this, put in a savings basically, and uh, really help myself out long-term. Right. Now let's, uh, let's, let's shift our focus here a, a little bit. I mean, I, um, the corn has been kind of quiet. It, it, it's making new contract highs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't get the press. It doesn't get the excitement uh, or the big moves like we see in the beans. So, as we've moved 20 cents in the uh, in the last or 25 cents uh, in the last couple of weeks here, it seems like nobody's talking about the corn. Is does corn not have the story that I think it has? I mean, I I feel like the demand situation from China is not going away. Mexico has has stepped up their buying uh, in the last uh, month or two uh, substantially. So they're you know our number one buyer is is back in the game pretty heavily. Am I missing something? Why why are we not talking about corn at this point? Is it because of what I mentioned as far as the possibility of planting more acres? Is is that the issue? You always have that as an overlimiting issue with corn. Corn is king. People are going to plant as much as possible whenever they can. But the thing that I really find interesting is the fact that you continue to see this uh, bullish sentiment in the corn backing off. Um, so you were, what was it, about mid-October, sitting at about a 90% bullish sentiment. And as of this last week, we were about 10% off of that. And we've talked in the past about how funds could be positioning into this Thursday with options in order to exit themselves from positions. And mm-hmm. what you could be looking at is just a, I, okay, I've collared myself in. So I can just sit here day after day and just do a 20 lot here, 20 lot here, 20 lot here, and just repetitive throughout the whole day, leaking yourself out of the position. And by the time Monday comes rolling around and you see those options ex- exercise and potentially see a large open interest decrease, um, I think that's just what's uh, happening at this point is potentially you're just seeing funds slowly move themselves out of position, much like we talked about beans with the channel able to reposition themselves at the lower mm-hmm. end. What you could be looking at is maybe a little little panic because the court story is just not as bullish as beans right now. It's, well, let's let's talk about something real quick because you mentioned you mentioned uh, a throwback to one of our uh, one of our previous conversations about uh, selling calls or, or buying puts for the funds uh, to collar that position. And we talk about the uh, the open interest drop on the Monday following optional ex- expiration, which would be uh, next Monday, the the twenty eighth. What does that look like as far as a price movement? It, it, because all of that stuff happens during non-trading hours mm-hmm. so you see this massive offset of of uh, of positions and open interest drops out of nowhere but does that does it have any effect on on price when we open up on on uh, say uh sunday night is that or is that something where these guys now don't have a position 
because they were offset, now they have to come right back in and buy it again. So it could be a couple things. It could be that it doesn't affect price, but it affects psychology, which in turn affects price. Mm -hmm. And you come in here Monday and get trade looking at the open interest, total open interest across the core market and say, holy moly, what just happened? You just dropped this open interest, however many contracts potentially. And they say, you know what? Funds already got out and they did it in a very, uh, very sneaky way, very strategic way. Yep. And I need to get out of my positions before Fred and before Phil over there get out of his their positions. And then you just have that fear coming to the market that, oh, I don't want right. to be the last one holding the ball. And once once you get that max fear, say it's only a 25 cent drop or whatever it may be. Then the funds come in and say, all right, now I can reposition. I'm 25 cents better than when I got out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, we don't have the, the same bullish story. We've got the potential to see a, a drop in open interest, which could change the psyche of the market. But is there is there still a channel working in the beans or in the corn that uh, is similar to the way the beans work, where, you know, maybe we were at the upper end of that channel and then we're going to work our way back down to the uh, to the lower end, which comes in at maybe I don't even know. I'm just going to guess like four, you know, four twenty, four fifteen, something like that. I, yeah, I wouldn't say I can't really clearly define the channel, but I think looking at it, the same mentality is not the worst thing. I don't think this is bearish by any means, mm -hmm. but we could also see funds close out the books. We could see things happen just because trade is low volume. We could see things along those lines where it doesn't have to make sense on a fundamental basis. It can just do so because guess what? I want to sell a contract. And you want to sell a contract because we both have long contracts, but I want to make sure I got a better price than you. So I'm going to get out and then you're going to get out because you want to get out before the next guy. Because ultimately, that's what this that's what we do. We have a buyer and we have a seller and it's really dependent on each individual one with how the market moves. Well, there's a lot to of stick to anything. Yeah, there's a lot of peer pressure. There's a lot of herd mentality when it comes to to trading these things. Mm hmm. So, um, any thoughts uh, when it comes to looking at the at uh, some marks on the uh, on the charts? Um, you still have a gap on uh, on corn that hasn't been filled way down below. Does that become something that we shoot for, say, out in August, September, October uh, on the continuous chart? You know, I think that gap that we were looking at is going to be much like the gap from when we came off our highs. It's probably going to be something that we don't fill for a long time, mm -hmm. where we get this compressionary phase and uh, we get supply to start dwindling over the next couple of years. And you you build that very sharp bull market. And by sharp, I mean from a long-term standpoint, where you have potentially three years where you really develop this thing. And then you have this longer term bear market, much like we saw from the peak of 2012 to this year, where you continue to build those supplies steadily and you start to see it leak lower. I think that's probably going to be the time frame that we're looking back at this gap that we opened up this year and saying, you know what, that's going to be a long term target down the road. And what's the potential for filling the gap on the upside for beans? Uh, I think it's somewhere around 1440. I think there's really good potential. And from a technical standpoint, 
especially a longer term technical standpoint, I think you're going to have a lot of people looking at it and saying, you know what, that's that's a pretty good target. That's something that if we're looking to kill demand during the run of 2010, we got up to 14 bucks uh, before we started to see some larger scale op, uh, oscillations in the market. I would not be too surprised to see that be a lar- large term target, just trying to get it filled up, potentially even moving through it. Okay, what's your what's your take on the dollar? We uh, we saw multi-year lows. Uh, we dipped below uh, below 90 uh, there earlier this week. But shoot, even today, um, what's your what's your thought on the dollar? Are we uh, are we setting ourselves up for uh, inflationary buying at some point in in all markets? That's a good question, and I know that's why I asked that. <laughs> The inflation has been a fun word, and it's been one since the Fed is constantly trying to target this inflation point that they want to be at, but then it can never seem to quite get inflation to the point they want. So maybe we do, but maybe we're also entering a different, just a whole different time in this market where typically you have XYZ as your, your points. You have interest rates you're watching. You have all these different standpoints that typically tell you whether or not we're running way too quickly, or if we are growing at a constant rate, or if we're in a bear market, whatever it may be. Mm. And it just, if you're watching inflation rates compared to what the market's done, it doesn't make a lot of sense about why they were doing, or uh, interest rates, not inflation rates, why they were doing what they're doing while the market was screaming higher. Typically, they like to raise interest rates in order to slow that down and not see that hyperbolic move. But that's not what the Fed did over the last four years. So I mean, should should we be worried that we just continue to pump money at the uh, at the economy at every every piece of uh, of uh, you know Americana out there, whether it's the the individual uh, out there getting an extra six hundred bucks on this go around, uh, the basically CFAP for uh, for farming, uh, small business, the airlines. I mean. At some point, I mean, doesn't it seem like all we've done is just print so much money that that's going to to lead to problems later on? Aren't we? Shouldn't we be nervous about that? One hundred percent. But the next question is, with that, are we still looking at currencies the same? Or I don't think you've watched this or you've listened to this show enough. I ask the questions, Mike. You don't get to ask the questions. <laughs> um, go ahead. So, I'm sorry. Well, something I've been watching is. We had, what was it, 2018, we had a cryptocurrency bubble that right. just went it went absolutely ballistic. Mm-hmm. And it just couldn't ever go down, much like the tech bubble. And then several years later, after the bubble burst, then we started actually figuring out, okay, this is how you make money in tech. This is how we're able to use this. And then it starts to increase again in right. tech, obviously, what it is today. Are we seeing that now? that second rise with Bitcoin running through the roof, are we seeing that shift again over to cryptocurrencies now that the general public knows more about it? Are oh, yeah. we starting to move away from just our regular currencies and over to the crypto? Hmm. And is that something, again, that we're going to have to be just completely changing how we view these markets? Okay. Well, now now as we move into, uh, what, like I said, a, a week and a half uh, from uh, the new year, um what are your uh, what are your talking points with uh, with customers um moving into uh into the new year and uh as we as we start to to look at 
uh, decisions that need to be made for uh, for this uh, well for the old crop 2021 and the new crop 21-22. Yeah, so as of right now, what's uh, what we're looking at is how do you protect the greatest good, and whether that means are you protecting crop prices right now, are you protecting sales, are you protecting land rents, um, are you protecting all these input costs that if this price goes through the roof, you're going to be able to have enough revenue to pay for the increase in all of these going forward. So again, biggest thing going to next year is how do you protect the most as opposed to how do you just protect your crop? As we've seen during the bear market, that seems to be uh, you got to protect the downside. Mm-hmm. Now, is it all right, maybe we need to switch to the, the viewpoint and how do we protect the upside? Because with higher uh, crop prices comes higher everything else prices. I got you. Okay. So what we're, you know, as we, as we start to look at things, you know, the um, farmers or or producers should be almost preparing to lose money on, on hedges at this point right now. Right. And that's not, and, and that's not a bad thing as we've explained numerous times to lose money in your hedge account is actually probably a positive thing when you've got the cash side of it uh, gaining. If you uh, if you had to put a number on what you would feel comfortable with as far as and this is not a this is not a recommendation, but what what levels are you looking at when it comes to corn or beans to uh, to say, you know, maybe five percent, maybe 10 percent cash here, maybe maybe start looking at some uh, some some puts or something like that. Is there a level that we're at currently? Or is it is it I've got to I've got to turn the page and start to see how the 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 fundamentals and the technicals set up uh, as we get into next year. I think you should be very minimal at this point uh, with any kind of cash sales because uh, I think Drew's going to make a very interesting point during our winter conference that's coming up here on the 27th of January um, with where our weather is taking us over the next several years and. Maybe besides looking at how much can I get sold right now, we should be looking at how do we protect sales in the future and what realistically can I be making in cash sales that I feel comfortable with during the summer? How do I protect those sales? Um, Things along those lines. But I think getting to January, we're really going to see a longer term forecast that uh, will help make those decisions better than what I can tell you right now. Okay, so well, you uh, you went ahead and broached the subject. Let's have you talk about this uh, this conference that's coming up for Allendale. Yeah, so we got our annual winter conference coming up the 27th and 28th of January. We're going to be talking to Drew Lerner of World Weather, and he's going to be breaking down a six-month forecast. What is it going to be for rain? What are we going to be looking at soil moisture? What is the big weather events that are going to be taking place that we really have to keep an eye on, and especially with the cryptic message he left in uh, the summer conference about what could be poking its head around the corner. Definitely one you don't want to miss considering it's live and it's the first one of the year for him. After that, you got uh, Steve, Greg, and uh, Rich talking about the fundamentals, the technicals. What is it looking like for price outlooks? What is it looking like for hedge recommendations and everything that's involved in your marketing plan? So make sure you guys check that out. Give our uh, sales department a call, 815 815- five seven eight six one two five uh that's gonna be nate and he's gonna be able to sign you up for that uh winter conference but make sure you give him a call and get signed up because 
getting the information first and having that extra time to plan is definitely going to be beneficial going forward this year. If you guys have any questions for us, please give us a call 800-262-7538. Today for Allendale Market Talk, this is Mike Lundgren, Pride signing off. You guys have a great one out there.